This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Happy bye week, everybody. Chance to reflect. It's not kind of sound like the holiday season. Maybe this this week 14 bye is, is actually better time than you think. No, not, not quite. How bad, like how angry would you have been as a player to have a week 14 bye week knowing training camp started in july you've been going since july honestly when i was young i didn't care because i didn't know any better i think we had a really late bye in 12 i think it was like a no no that was the early bye maybe 13 it was like week late week and i remember mike did a good job of like trying to spin it to us man this is great man you know we're gonna be ready to make a playoff push that's when you want to take your break you don't want it early you don't want it in the middle you want it at the end of the season and i remember it was like my third or fourth year and i was like yeah yeah i want it i want it late in the season and then as i got older i realized he was just like pulling smoke and mirrors over me like you want it kind of like in the middle like a week 10 week nine buys like pretty solid because you're you kind of can refocus for the second half of the season uh i think there are advantages to a late buy um you know, like you said, like if you're banged up, you're really banged up now. So this this is comes at a nice time. I always didn't like it because I felt like it was kind of distracting in a way. It kind of took me out of the focus of the last home stretch. But, um, you know, I think that's just kind of different strokes, different folks. And uh, like I said, some I'm sure some of these guys don't even know any different. They're just like, oh, yeah, you know, week, whatever. Bye. That's that's awesome. Yeah. For this particular team having a week pass without a game that Benjamin St. Juice can't play in is great. Get yeah. him back. That is that is a, a phenomenally timed buy in that way. But I always remember a conversation I had with Lorenzo Alexander uh, at some point when, when he was still playing towards the end of his career. And he was like, yeah, because I think the Bills had an early buy. And like we were talking to him on the training podcast or something during the bye week. And he's like, yeah, it is, you know, it's only week four, week five, but realistically, this is the midway point of the season because we've been in training camp since July. Um, The NFL, I think, has done a decent job of changing it up a little bit where like you now have that week between uh, the regular season and training camp ending. So you get like a little mini buy at the end of training camp before you get into your your game week practices, uh, depending on how hard your coach wants to go there. But you have at least a little bit of time without a game. Uh, and obviously the last week of the preseason guys don't play a whole lot anyway. And then, you know, because everyone's playing so much Thursday night football now, like a lot of teams get kind of the, you have to play two games in five days to get there, which sucks, but, uh, you have the little mini buy after and, and Washington had one of those fairly early in the season after the Chicago game. Um, so there was kind of an extended stretch and, 
uh, now you get the the real buy uh, with a chance to get healthy and and go into New York. Well, New York has to play Philadelphia, which is uh, no treat. No, no treat, treat for them. <clears throat> All right, so here's what we're going to do on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a self-scout and kind of ask some of the questions that we've been getting asked and, and dive into the answers or some of the questions we've been asking ourselves in terms of what this team could do. Let's let's take the time to examine some of the tweaks they could make, get into some of the nuance of the adjustments that we hope to see to maximize this team's chances of winning down the home stretch. And Logan, without question, the number one guy topic uh, whatever however you want to phrase it at the center of all this is how do you get more out of this offense and how specifically can you get more out of Taylor Heineke and we had mentioned a couple things on Wednesday's show that I wanted to circle back on uh, there is the idea of running Taylor a little bit more and there's the idea of getting a little bit more tempo in the offense which one sure. would you rather start with <clears throat> um Running or tempo? I mean, we can start with running. I think that's like it'll be a quicker answer. The tempo thing is, I think, more nuanced. Uh, so with Taylor and running the football, I think obviously he's got a skill set for it, but he good running quarterbacks, especially today, they seem to have a proclivity or an ability to not take big shots. And Taylor, to my eye, has not shown that ability, right? He has not shown the ability to be like, okay, this is a dead run. Let me just slide down. Like, that's not really least to my eye in his nature and that's what you love about him that's why you like him as a competitor but also like look at jalen hurts like he'll run forward he slides down so lamar jackson same thing that was one of the big uh, negatives of cam newton right is that he'd take too many big shots um and so i just look at that and i say like that's in my estimation as to like obviously he has a skill set right he has a skill set that would fit that he's fast he's athletic he's quick he seems to be able to read uh like do the zone read relatively well the problem is he exposes himself to big hits. And when you are on your second string quarterback, going to your third string quarterback is not a very viable solution, in my opinion. So you do have to kind of hedge a little bit. And as much as it adds to your offense, see, I think they could, they could, there's like an in between here. And this is something I think we can talk about in more detail. There's an in between because it's like you don't need to major in it the way that the New York Giants or the Atlanta Falcons do. But I do think you can use it in select situations to steal possessions. And so that's something else I would kind of say, like maybe do it once a game, twice a game, as opposed to five to seven times a game. Um, yeah. And again, if you can steal a first down off that, that'd be awesome. The other thing which I've thought about a little bit, and you know, I'm kind of backtracking something I said earlier, is I don't know how well he reads it. I don't know how well he reads the defensive end, yeah. which is something that I think a lot of people just kind of assume is really easy to do, but it's, it's not. not. Yeah, so that was that was one of the things I was going to tack on is I if you say he reads his own read well, okay. Um we can definitely, you know, circle back on that. I'm sure this is not the last time we'll get asked that question if you want to study that or, you know, yeah, talk yeah, to people yeah. whatever. Um but we know that RPO wise, he's not great at reading it. Uh, cuz yeah. we've seen how many times this year where we go back and watch the film and it's like, "Oh, that was an RPO. That wasn't a straight yeah. handoff." And the bubble is what should have happened or pulling it or whatever. And he just hands it off into the, into a bad run fit uh, mm -hmm. or into a, into a bad run situation, which is by definition, what happens if you misread uh, the zone read or an RPO. And that's, that's not good. The, the other thing though, that I love that you said is you don't have to major in it to do it. Right. And this is where I think a little bit would go a long way, which is actually going to be some on some level, my answer to the tempo question as well. If you just pulled it once or twice a game, you could probably steal some yardage. 
because teams aren't playing you to pull it because you never do. So you're probably going to be able to get eight, nine yards pretty easy, if not something bigger, if, if they really blow an assignment. And you're obviously limiting your exposure as well. Uh, the other area, though, where I think Taylor could run more is something he did in his first couple of starts, which is scrambling. Mm. It seems like the scramble is completely out of his his repertoire now. He had a couple on Sunday, um, but scrambles are amongst the most valuable plays you have in football. And because they happen in, in a lot of like third down situations where the quarterback winds up picking up a first down, they have uh, an elevated amount of value. It also is something else for the defense to consider and, and think about. Uh, it is yardage that if you don't scramble, typically is going to be an incompletion because you throw it away or a sack. If someone was open, you would have thrown the ball. Um, and so it's a chance to get plus yardage on what would otherwise be at the very least neutral, uh, if not a negative play. And his mobility has certainly saved them from a lot of sacks in terms of like move a little bit, throw the ball away, whatever. But if he would kind of have more of a Daniel Jones-esque approach where I get to the back of my drop or the top of my drop, I look, if it's not there and my check down's not there, let me look to run. I think this offense would be more effective in general uh, because they would pick up more yardage and and defense would start to have to account for that in a way that probably opens up some other stuff. But just getting that yardage, uh, I think, would be very helpful. Yes, he's got to avoid the big hits. He has shown an ability to slide, so maybe it's not in his nature, but like he can do it. And I think Taylor's also shown it uh, over the course of the last couple of years that if he needs to do something, he will. Um, he's very, very highly coachable. So it's like, hey, man, run, but then please get down at, at your, your earliest convenience. Um, and so I, I think that little bit going a long way would be what I would say is is the the right amount they need to run him more but that does not by any stretch mean they need to major in it and that is because you don't want to overexpose him especially as a second quarterback i think that's such a great point and because he's not great at a lot of the design run stuff yeah and you know you're asking me about the uh the zone read element too you know i think we were both kind of referencing with the rpo thing the uh the minnesota game and they did some uh, zone read stuff in that game as well and it's hard to tell whether or not it's called from the sideline about whether or not he could keep it. Cause sometimes they have that action in the backfield, but it's a mandated handoff. So to be in fairness to him, I don't know exactly what they're calling. And a lot of teams will call it from the sideline because the quarterback's bad at actually reading it. So, um, but he, to my eye, he didn't make the correct read in that game as well with zone reads and RPO. So, you know, how comfortable is it? You know, like when he was playing in the XFL, he played in an offense that was very zone read heavy and he was the backup uh, in that offense. So maybe he just didn't have, kind of that ability to do that you mentioned the scrambling thing and i think that's really interesting because i agree like scrambles are obviously very very valuable and one of the reasons daniel jones has a scramble all the time is because he doesn't have a lot of skill position players right he doesn't have a lot of very very talented people and i think back to the games and and this is just off of the cuff so i haven't looked at this i don't know for sure but i don't feel like he has that many throwaways and i don't feel like he so basically what i'm saying is i feel like the skill position players in this offense are doing a good job of getting open and he's yeah. doing a good job of throwing with anticipation. So the need to scramble has not been there in the same way as it is for a team like the New York Giants, where he has to, Jones has to kind of create on his own. I think Taylor understands, I think Scott understands that these guys are good enough outside to win and win consistently. And I think that's that might be just as a bigger reason for him not scrambling. You know what I mean? Because he yeah, feels more more comfortable with the playmakers and obviously like i think every the reason it's come up so much is because in the red zone last week 
there's a, an opportunity for him to maybe scramble for a touchdown, like kind of in the in the low red zone there. And I don't I'm, everyone's like, oh, they should have scrambled. He should have scrambled. I think he gets smoked if he tries to scramble for for the touchdown there. But even on that play, there's a guy open in the back of the end zone that he kind of misses early in the in the sequence. Not necessarily because that's his fault, but is that I'm the saying, one he winds up throwing away out of the back? He throws away out of the back. Jahan yeah, I saw open. it's Jahan opens up and he's wide open, but it, he's getting pressure. And it's like, I don't know if he right. really had a chance to make that throw because he was Correct. already having to flush, which Correct. sucks because your guy gets open. Correct. And also like, that's one of those, it's, this is, we're kind of delving off into another question here, but like that play in specifically shows something that for whatever reason, he doesn't do well in the red zone. Like he seems to throw with good anticipation in the field. But when he gets in the red zone, he, he he waits a little bit. So on that concept, this dagger concept, where you have like the the clear coming through and then the the, the deep in behind it, um, the window is 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 preserved. Like they've created the window, so you're really throwing to the window um, on as your foot hits the top of your drop. Once you hit your top of the drop, take a little hitch, balls out, right? And I think he has time to do that. He's he's throwing the receiver to the open space um, in the field. He does an excellent job of that. Same thing with the Bates touchdown a couple weeks ago, where he, um, or almost touchdown, where he throws it a little late to the seam and Bates is out of the back of the end zone. He should throw that with anticipation, knowing the window is there. And for whatever reason, he just seems a little bit more conservative in those situations. But I digress. So I really think that the scrambling thing might be coral- like a like a corollary to the fact that the skill position players are, are doing a good job getting open. Like there's there's places for him to go with the football. He's reading out the concept effectively. He knows where to go with the ball in the timing of the play in the field. So if you're doing that stuff, like I, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't feel like he's holding the ball or he's throwing the ball away a lot. Yeah. Like there's opportunities for him to get the ball out of his hand. So that's a testament to the skill guys. That's a testament to Scott. That's a testament to his understanding of the offense. And if you're doing those things, you don't need to scramble that much. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I guess my, the situations where I'm thinking about him scrambling, because you're right. Um, it's not like you're Daniel Jones, drop back. It's not there. Let me climb the pocket and get out, get out right. the gap. Right. I think there are times he scrambles out of the pocket and he could commit to running sooner. And it's like, there was a play on Sunday where he, I think, either throws late out of bounds or throws late for, like, a two-yard completion. And I was just like, man, just run now. Yeah. Like, you know, if your tight end's in the flat two yards ahead of you, uh, rather than throw him the ball, and, like, he's he's got a guy that's bearing down on him, right? Would you rather throw him the ball and have that guy tackle or have your tight end turn into a blocker, block that guy, run around your tight end, and pick up three times the yardage, which goes from two yards to six, but, like, we'll take it yeah, and run right. out of bounds. And so I, I think that there are times, especially scrambling to his right, where he's looking, looking, looking. And I get it because he is someone who can make those throws on the run. He can throw yeah. off platform. He can throw from different arm angles. Um, it's Does it look like it does when Mahomes does it or Allen does it? Of course not. Um, he doesn't have that zip on the ball. But he can make some of those throws. But because he's not nearly as accurate as those other guys, I'd rather often just take the positive gain and see him run a little bit faster, like make the decision to run faster. And instead of throwing one down the field that winds up 10 yards over someone's head, just take the five yards and run out of bounds or take the four yards and slide. Commit to running sooner if your first thing is not there as you scramble as opposed to letting the pursuit catch you. And then then having to either flip it out of bounds uh, or throw it over someone's head or try to make some some squeeze throw that doesn't wind up working out. Yeah, he does seem to have um, 
just like thinking through some stuff. He does seem to have kind of cultivated a different approach when he's moving in the pocket. His eyes kind of stay downfield a little bit longer. And I think it is a weird juxtaposition to see Daniel Jones, who has kind of this year mastered that technique, right? Kind of mastered like it's there. Is it there? No, 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 no. I'm going to scramble for a six-yard gain. And like for that offense, those six-yard gains have become huge, right? Um it's interesting. I think the opportunities are down in those situations. I feel like he's kind of shifted. He's trying to be a passer, which mm-hmm. I like because that's what you want when you got these kind of playmakers. Sure. Um, but yeah, like that's that, I think that's something interesting to keep an eye on is like in those in that very small sample size of plays, if there's an opportunity for him to kind of maybe be more efficient in terms of his decision making, still looking for because that's what Daniel Jones is an excellent job of. He's looking to throw, but then he reaches a like that tipping point where it's like, well, no, nothing's there. Let me just get five and get yeah. out of bounds and i think that that would be something interesting to kind of go back and look at like how efficient has he been in those specific situations i don't feel like there's been a lot of them like in that 100 in, in the giants offense there's a ton of them you know that's basically their whole right. offense right right because uh, their skill guys can't get open right and and that kind of speaks to something else that maybe we need to talk about a little bit too is um you know they they ran a lot of keeper. They ran a lot of like kind of this boot action, which puts him in a situation to do that. Like that's actually how Kyle used to coach our boots, right? It was like, you know, one to the flat, two to the over, and then if three is you running the football. Mm-hmm. And maybe giving him more opportunities to express that skill set on a simple half field read is maybe a way to get more out of him as a runner where he's not having to, you know, um, read the defensive end. It's like, you know, do what New York did. Block the defensive end, boot out, do your read, scramble for five yards. And that's, again, I think a very valuable tool. And Daniel Jones showed you why that's so effective. It's interesting, however, because I wonder if um, if, they are, if they are that worried about his durability that they just don't want him to run. That That's such a great point. It's something that I hadn't really given enough credence to, the idea that it's, you know, hey, He's your second string. We really don't want to play Hal as much as some people in the fan base are like, no, just play Hal. Um, you know, they don't want to have to play Hal. Now that Carson's back, that could be something that you open up, though, and say, right. Like, all right, well, if you have to go back to Carson, we go back to Carson. Um, let's try to get the most out of Taylor. Um, but it, I, I think the other important point here is we're talking like one to three plays a game here, right? And yeah, in, yeah. in an offense yeah. where they're running 60 to 80, like right. they are they're doing a lot of good things. It is how do they open up the margins here a little bit so that they're not walking on the world's thinnest type rope. That's also covered in ice each and every single week. Yeah. Um, they are like, let's just walk a type rope. That's not a slippery, a slippery sheet of ice. Um, yeah, you're, you're like, looking for, you're looking for edges. You're looking for inches. Right. And so right. scrambling is obviously what I do think. I do and think and I think the, the design run stuff. Um, yeah. I think if you could steal a first down, especially on a third down situation, you get like a third and four where you're kind of caught in this in between. Do we run it? Do we try to throw it with one of our traditional drop backs? Our drop back pass game is not very good. Like, okay, go zone read and and let yeah. Taylor pull it and, and get the first down. Or, you know, you get three yards, you get stopped a yard short. And if you're in the right area of the field, you go for it on fourth down. Right. Um, those are the kinds of margins that we're talking about here. And I, I think I want to be explicit about that to say, we're not looking for an overhaul of the offense. We're looking to make the existing offense, you know, 5% better. Right. And so to me, it's, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm installing an offense now at the high school that I work at. And it's, it's a very challenging thing because you can do literally anything you want. And so one, one thing I would, I would ask you, Craig, and I would ask the fans, you know, to, to comment on this is, is this the most efficient use of 
you know, 5% of your offense? Or is there another play variation that is more efficient that speaks to this skill set better, right? So what I mean by that, is there an opportunity to maybe develop a screen or a reverse or a jet or a, a keeper game or some type of play action derivative or, um, you know, like a, like a, they call it like a token play action derivative that you like more for those 5% of plays, which is kind of what we're talking about in terms of expanding and, and, and being critical of the offense. I think one of those derivatives for the current offense construction is probably more valuable. I'm not saying you don't run the zone read or you don't run the design quarterback stuff, but is one of those other variations more valuable to this offense? And I kind of think maybe, maybe if you look at it and you really break it down, you say, <clears throat> you know, if we, let's say you run the keeper game, that that's five more easy throws a game and you give the opportunity to Taylor to run the football. I think that's way more valuable than a design quarterback run in the context of the current offense. Now, the way they run their run game, a keeper game doesn't really suit that very well, right? Because, you know, keeper game is usually off outside zone because you're moving the offensive front away and then you're kind of booting out to space. That doesn't really work off a duo tight zone, that kind of thing, right? So can they get to that even, right? And if they can't get to that, what's the next kind of philosophical approach you can get to? So those are the types of questions I would postulate to you, Craig, to the fans is, is the design quarterback run the thing? right? Everyone fixates on that, but is it the thing that is is the true value add or the most value add? Right. And I, my answer uh, to this point at my knowledge level would be they're already running some either zone read or it looks like zone read, but is actually a handoff because we're dictating to Taylor that he's got to hand it off. So the structure already exists within this offense to do that. And it's just literally once or twice a game, Taylor, pull it and run. Um, and that that doesn't seem like that much of a lift if there's even anything to remotely install other than Taylor. Hey, buddy, you're going to you're going to have the option to pull this one. Um, you know, you obviously could complicate it, uh, you know, and complicate it, add to it, let's say, um, by having a, a fullback come across or a tight end come across and block in the way that New York or or Atlanta has their quarterback keeper game. Because I don't think you're all you're also not at least I'm not looking to run a quarterback sweep like the Giants do with Daniel Jones. Like no. that's that's not something you're looking to do. It, it, some of this design quarterback run. To me, Taylor running the football comes down to two things that are already in the offense. It is pulling the occasional zone read and it is uh, having him be a little bit more willing to run in scramble situations. That would be the two things for me where I'd adjust on the margins. And then if you want to talk about, okay, here's the other areas like you were talking about adding something that is more substantial, I would I would then be very interested to hear like what that looks like and whether that's actually a good idea at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think this is like more for the uh, like the second half of this conversation because we still got to talk about the tempo, but I, like, you know, even, even like with the zone read thing, like if he's not uber comfortable with it, like Daniel Jones, what they did is they run a zone read action to a keeper, right? They, like they, they, they get him there that way. And I think there are, to me, those that type of wrinkle in this offense might for the players. And again, I'm not the coach. I'm not in the building every day. These mm -hmm. are the types of things that they get paid, decisions they get paid to make might yeah. be running that play two more times in short yardage situation might be more valuable than having a play where Taylor doesn't feel super comfortable pulling it. Totally. Right. So that's what I'm saying is like, you can get to some of this out of pocket, you know, movement stuff, kind of zone ready, put the defense in conflict elements, 
while still kind of dressing it in a different outfit, you know? And I think that's something that I would, I would, again, I would, I would, I would have fans think about it just because zone read is like the sexy thing. And we saw Marcus Mario to do it. We saw um, Daniel Jones do it. Jalen Hurts does it all the time. Is there something else that maybe Taylor's better at more comfortable with that would, that would replace this kind of need for these two plays, right? That again, he can do more effectively. And, that, and that, that's the thing that I would, if I'm the OC, I'm really looking at that stuff because obviously, like we've talked about, he doesn't seem to have a very high comfort level with the zone read stuff. Now, the scrambling thing, I'm I'm on board with 100%, like because those are valuable plays, and that's just a slight shift in mindset. But mm-hmm. if we're gonna use these plays in these critical situations on short short yardage situations, I've always made the assumption that he could do it. But there's there is a world, there's a universe yeah. where he just can't do it. So that would be my thought there is like maybe there's another variation of this kind of put the defense in conflict with the quarterback as a runner or a mover that is more advantageous for this offense. And I think we get caught up with this kind of sexy zone read RPO terminology that maybe um, that maybe maybe is ineffectual with this skill set. But this. Yeah, totally. It, it, because the to, to underscore this zone read or RPO and especially RPO requires a decision in fact yeah. the reason i say especially rpo is actually requires decisions yeah. first do you run or pass and if you choose to or actually you know do you hand it or pull it right and if you're pulling it are you running it or are you throwing it right um and, and so there's a multi-layered decision there depending on multiple reads zone read you typically you know read the defensive end and if he crashes you pull it and if he plays you you hand it off and so if you can have some of that action something that looks like that um, and accomplishes some of the same things while taking the decision out of it for Taylor. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's... Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. There, there is a skill set in an offense that is trying to be as efficient as possible and yeah. often not succeeding. Trying to maximize the skill sets available is sure. how you're going to achieve that. And there is a running skill set with Taylor Heineke that is not being maximized. And I think you've brought up a ton of really good reasons why that might be the case and why that might actually be correct. In yeah. fairness to Scott and Ron, uh, as, as often as we can criticize them from our seats, they just have more information than us yeah. and they are not stupid. Um, and so it's easy for us to sit here and be like, well, what about this? And they might be like, yeah, we see Howell every day. And if we play him, our chances are toast. We don't know that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Sam's look great in practice. Maybe it might, um, that's the I, thing is it might, we don't know. Right? We, we don't know. Um, but that there, they could for any variety of reasons, um, to ha- want him to not 
not do that. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. All right, that was that was a nice, long, nuanced dissection of of one thing that we've spent a lot of time kind of beating around the bush about. Let's try to have the same kind of discussion here about the offense picking up the pace a little bit. Taylor's numbers in like traditional dropback situations are like bottom three, bottom four of qualified quarterbacks in the league. He's not good in that situation. Where he is good is when they pick up the pace, when they pick mm-hmm. up the tempo. He's been fantastic in, in hurry up two minute situations. You know, we kind of had a, a nice laugh on the Wednesday pod talking about how they went those two back-to-back drives. That was like 23 plays for 78 yards. It took 14, 18 off the clock and they wound up with zero points. It was a punt and a missed field goal, including an 11 play 40 yard drive that didn't get past midfield. Um, So you've got that. And then he goes like 10 plays in 158 for 80 yards and a touchdown or 90 yards and a touchdown. Um, And, that obviously leads to fans asking. We've addressed a shorter version of this before on the podcast of like, why don't they go hurry up? Why don't they go tempo? And the the short answer is they don't want to hurry up. They right. want to bleed clock. They want to lead the NFL in time of possession, and they are accomplishing that goal. But Logan, is there, in your opinion, room to mix in some tempo to try to get more out of Heineke without losing the things you are gaining by letting your defense rest, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I do think there are certain situations where you want to go tempo or you can go tempo. Um, And what I mean by that is, like, let's just take a situation, for example, where I think tempo would be advantageous. Let's say it's, let's say it's third, uh, let's say it's third and two, or it's, um, it's second and eight, you get to third and two. I think in that situation, you're probably going to call a run or some type of play action pass, like hurry up there. You know what I mean? Like get to the line of scrimmage quickly. Don't let the t- defense like, kind of dig their cleats in, get set. It doesn't need to be a 1,000 miles an hour, but that's a situation where I think a little bit of tempo is very advantageous. Situations where you're just looking for a little shift in, 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 in your advantage, right? The defensive coordinator goes, oh, man, they're hurrying up. Like, I can't sub. Like, let's just go my base call, which is cover three. And then Taylor knows, you know, everyone knows the front, kind of simplifies the whole deal. Then you can run the football for a first down. Make that just a little bit easier for you, as opposed to kind of striving to get the perfect personnel, the perfect play call, um, the perfect motion on the field early on. Sometimes there is an advantage, I think, in like those high leverage situations to just be like, hey, this is the play we like. Like I'm Scott on the sideline. I'm just going to call it. We can execute this with 10 seconds left, with, you know, with 15 seconds left on the play clock, as opposed to five. You know, don't, we don't need to give the defense all this opportunity to kind of say, Oh, let's get the big guys on the field. Let's match in this coverage. Let's bring this pressure. Let's do this line stuff. So I, I think that's an opportunity. Obviously, end of half into game situations, I think is great. I think also when you're a little bit in a doldrum, I think a little bit of t- and again, there are varying degrees of tempo. Like when I was with right. um like every every system I was in, it's not just Kyle, every system I was in, you have like kind of your base tempo, which is you want to get the play executed with whatever the whatever the parameter is 10 to 7 seconds left on the play clock then they have like their Kyle called it apache it's that that's like your kind of muddle huddle hurry up you have some code words but you're still kind of huddling you want to get the play the play executed in about 10 seconds right and then you have your 2 minute where there is no huddle you're just on the ball you're going as fast as you possibly can you're sprinting around like a bunch of lunatics there's no motion so i think there is there's gradation to this right and i think a little bit of tempo in certain situations 
I mentioned the third down situation or like, like when you're in an offensive doldrum can be advantageous and it doesn't need to be, everyone thinks it's an advantage for Taylor, right? To throw the football. And it is because defenses simplify, but mm-hmm. it can be an advantage for the offensive line too, because it simplifies what they're doing from a blitz standpoint, from a coverage standpoint and from a front standpoint. So just, and you might not even notice as a fan, like unless you're really monitoring the clock consistently, you might not even notice it. Right. But they're, I think kind of, you know, working between first gear and third gear is a very, very valuable tool. And obviously when you want to go to fifth gear for like that two minute situation, there's also time for that as well. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you explained it that way because that is where I also am. Um, I think that a little bit of tempo can go a long way and there are way, and it's really about figuring out why Taylor likes tempo. Right. Like, what is it about tempo that suits him? Is it the adrenaline rush? Because if so, like, we're going to have to we're going to have to chill out on that because we can't go two minute all the time. So Taylor right. gets his, his adrenaline junkie fix. Um, but if it's the simplified coverages, the simplified fronts, et cetera, we can dictate that pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and this is where the commander's personnel being so versatile is incredibly advantageous. If you yeah. want to go tempo, get Antonio Gibson in the game knowing you can line him up as a wide receiver or in the backfield. Get Logan Thomas in the game, someone who's very comfortable splitting out into the slot. Get Curtis Samuel in the game, and, and you know you can line him up any literally anywhere. Anywhere that is an eligible receiver position, Curtis Samuel can line up. And it gives you still a fair amount of your playbook. You're probably going to operate with some, some pared-down version of it because right. um, you're, not, you're not necessarily huddling. Well, it depends um, on the speed too. It depends on how right. fast you want to go, right? If you want right. to go even 10% faster, you can call, you can huddle. It's just about play caller being on it, quarterback being on it, and guys getting the line of scrimmage, right? Right. And, but if you don't sub, the defense is not going to be able to sub. Right. And that, that's the biggest thing is it, one, it gets them tired. And like anyone, anyone who's, uh, I, I'm going to put on my strength and conditioning hat here for a second. Like when you're going super intense exercise, rest super intense exercise rest which is a football play is a very intense three to six second exercise uh, for everybody on the field 10 seconds of rest is a long time yeah so if you're giving the defense an extra 10 seconds of rest they are so much fresher for that next snap versus oh i'm still catching my breath because we're snapping it with 15 on the play clock versus five yeah and so that like literally metaphysical or whatever word you want to use response that we're talking about here when you're the aggressor that is such an advantage for you and you know mentally to not be able to switch off because even if even if you call something like that apache speed right so we're talking that 15 to 12 or whatever kind of range on on the play clock if we get to the line of scrimmage as an offense quickly and the defense is like oh crap i gotta be ready even if then Taylor backs off and does kind of the college football, let me look to the sideline situation. The defense doesn't really have a chance to relax. Right. And so they're going to wear down at a rate that's much faster while you still are elapsing the time on the clock in real time. John Allen doesn't care about that. He's sitting on the bench looking at the tablet, getting his water and his oxygen and he's still getting the rest that allows him to stay on the field to the extent that he did against the Giants, where for the first time in his career he missed only one play defensively. Like right. that, because that is that is the trickle down, right? What you're trying to avoid is the defense being gassed at any point in the game and a 
higher necessity for subs along your defensive line where you want to keep Montez Sweat, John Allen, and Deron Payne on the field as much as possible when your defense is out there, which means keeping them off the field as much as possible throughout the entirety of the game. So it's finding the ways to mix in an ability to still accomplish that goal while getting the simplified coverages, the simplified fronts, and and the advantageous matchups for you offensively. And I think mixing in a little bit of that like Apache-level tempo can actually accomplish that quite well. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, you, you also got to say, like, how does this jive with the team's goals? And, like, mm-hmm. I think you laid those out really well. So one of the negative things about tempo, any kind of tempo, is that it can get – it can lead to a faster three and out. And ultimately, you're trying to avoid that. Like, that's the main goal of their whole offensive philosophy is stay on the field as long as possible. Don't leverage the defense. And so – Traditionally, I think coaches say, oh, well, we got to go really slow, right? But there is an advantage to getting first downs, right? And if this helps you get multiple first downs, I don't care even about scoring points, just kind of abiding by this offense's offensive identity, just working to get first downs. And if the tempo allows you to do that in certain situations, I think that's where the juice would be worth the squeeze there. Now, do they do they feel comfortable with that? Do they want to leverage Taylor that way? You know, how's the conditioning of the offensive line is a big one. You know, like when Mm -hmm. I was, when we first installed this like Apache tempo when I was with Kyle, one of the things that really stuck out to me was like, it was awesome because the defense would get tired, but the big, the big nasties would get tired too. And when they get tired, it gets sloppy. You've got some older players on the offensive line. Maybe they don't feel as comfortable kind of going at that pace. So these are all things that need to be considered when kind of making that assessment, when making that decision. But I think kind of to your point, there, there are, degrees of this right and can you find advantages going by degrees and i think um if you're looking for inches you're looking for edges this would be something to exploit but again at this point it's also important to know like we talked about the rpo we talked about the zone read we talked about the tempo how much they don't have a lot of time to put in new stuff so if this isn't already in there's probably not going to be in if that makes sense they're going to um they're going to find something else, another kind of wrinkle that they feel more comfortable dealing in. But you're right, Craig, like you could do a myriad of things, you know, you could get to the line of scrimmage quickly, kind of stand around, you know, negate the subbing ability of the defense. All of those things are true. It's just about how much time do you have and where do you think the most value is? So we've identified three areas or two er- two specific areas so far where there is an advantage. Like we there, if you were to implement those plays, there would be an advantage, but maybe the staff doesn't see those as advantages, right? They see them as more of a detriment because of the personnel, because of the philosophy, and they're going to go for a different edge, so to speak. So again, that's something uh, always to consider in these conversations is we are looking at two elements, but football is multifactorial, right? It, it's very, very complicated and nuanced. And maybe they say we want to really embrace the screen game with Cosme and Wes Schweitzer in, as opposed to Trey and, and Larson, who are bigger kind of slower players. Maybe that's the direction right. they go. It could be a myriad of things, but they have to do something. These are two options. They might not, not deem these options as necessary, but there will be some some type of innovation. Yeah, and just like with the Taylor running discussion, we're talking about margins here. If yeah. they do this one time per half and that's enough to keep Taylor in a rhythm and like get him going a little bit, that would be great. But also, like Taylor's been good to start the last couple of games. Uh, I think it was the Atlanta game. He was four for four on the first drive. They... they 
blitz down the field and score a touchdown. Scott's so it's been not great. like, yeah, it, his, his first 15, like Scott deserves a ton of credit. It, it's the ability to continue to adjust and like use that information as the game goes, that I think has been a bit frustrating, but also defenses adjust and, and figure things out as well. Like the other guys get paid too. And I think like the Giants game is a phenomenal example of that. As we talked about on the last podcast with, with some of what Wink Martindale did. It's like, oh yeah, he's great. He's great at what he does. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Um, so I think when you get in kind of those ruts, like you were talking about, that's a great time to potentially unleash a little bit of tempo to try to get Taylor going. But that also becomes a riskier proposition, right? If you're in a rut, you've probably been going three and out or four and out, and your defense might be getting a little bit tired and going tempo might feel like the last thing that you want right. to do. Like this is, these things are hard. And I, and I do think that's something that, maybe we don't do a good enough job of explaining because I don't think anyone particularly in media does because then you just sound right. like an, you're an apologist. Right. It's like, oh, this is hard. Like, if, if all I did was say, hey, this is hard, my show from three to six every day would suck. Like, it, there's no point in doing it. Like, it's hard. What do I know? They know more than me. And there are times when I just, I have no problem admitting, like, that's data that I would want to make a decision on. That, sure. Or yeah, there's, yeah. there's data I don't have that I would need to make that decision. I will try my best to explain to the audience why I don't feel like I can accurately explain or I don't have a high level of confidence with what my opinion is because I just don't have uh, enough of the information. With that said, um, these things are really hard. And there, there's the word multifactorial almost doesn't even cover it. It's like endlessly in, yeah. you know, in terms of the factors. And some like there's there's things that we just can't like that that we're probably not thinking about and and I think we've already hit on a couple of them like you or specifically you've hit on a couple of them that a lot of us thinking about these things don't often and the the offensive line conditioning is something that clearly people don't think a lot about um right. and, and even offensive line style like that's something we've talked about a little bit and and kind of referenced at points this year but like let's underline this here in our little self scout Part of the reason they've played the way they have is because Trey Turner's a big, big man who is yeah. good at run blocking and not particularly excellent at pass blocking. He's certainly not very good at this stage in his career at getting out into space in the run game. So they've found a run game that works for not only their quarterback, not only their running back in Brian Robinson as he has come back to full health, but for big men who can run vertically straight ahead and crush whatever's in front of them, right. but should not be asked to get out in space and hit little guys. Uh, or just get out in a space with any kind of time constraints, period, uh, which is what happens on, nevertheless, a screenplay, but like a power play with a pulling guard. We're just, even that's, just like not outside what this zone. Is. They, they yeah. ran a lot of outside zone early, and they've gotten away from that, right? They kind of said, we're not great at this. And I think last year they were pretty good at it, and the offensive line composition was much, much different. So I think these are the types of decisions you're always negotiating. You're always scouting. You're always saying, What's the best opportunity for us, right? And, you know, fans make assumptions and say this this thing, let's take the zone read, let's take tempo, will we'll make this offense better. And that's true to a certain extent if the existing personnel can handle it, if this group is is a physically capable of doing it and intellectually capable of doing it. So um, I think that's part of it. And also, like, do, does this offense translate well to kind of an Apache signaling approach and i don't know you know what i mean like the offense is, is complicated it's it's very nuanced and i don't know if it does but um those are all things that need to be considered and again 
you know, if you would have said, hey, they're going to – if you would have told me at the beginning of the year they're going to be like one of the most heavy duo running teams in the NFL, I'd have been like, that seems kind of silly given the weapons that they have, right, given mm-hmm. this whole thing. But they found a formula that fits what they do, and that's what coaching is. It's this constant evolution, getting away from the RPO, getting away a little bit from the zone read, getting away from the outside zone and saying – this is who we are. And I don't think anybody kind of could have predicted this. I don't even think the coach, I think they kind of stumbled into it, to be honest. But then it gives you all these other variations. This great play action pass games come off of it. And now, now my question is, what is the next thing? You know, we've mm-hmm. said these two things would help, but maybe there's something that they deem is better at helping. And I think that's the curious thing about these last four games is what is that thing? What does this offense evolve to over the next four weeks? Yeah, they certainly got some of the screen game involved again against the Giants. And, you know, I was Mr. Hey, quit throwing screens to Terry McLaurin earlier in the year. Yeah, I was wrong on that one. He's he figured it out on Sunday and like was super effective. And that that third and 15 that he got like 14 and a half yards on. And you're like, wow, he's just so good with the ball in his hands, even if it doesn't look like, you know, a lot of traditional screen runners. But there there is there's the advantage of like Sam Cosme at guard is he is out and very clearly clamped on the guy that's supposed to be tackling Terry. Like it, I was like, how did he get out there so fast? But that is him. And if you do that same, if you do that same play, which looks excellent with Sam Cosme, if you do that with anybody else, not quite as good. You know what I mean? Not right. quite as good. So Because the margins on those kinds of things, and so often in the NFL, especially on things that involve blocking, so run right. plays, screens, et cetera, like they're this much. You miss right. a guy by that much, he makes the tackle, uh, or he gets a little bit more solid contact uh, and slows down versus like his fingertips hit the ball carrier and the ball carrier runs right through him. Like those are those are the 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 margins here. And so you know, a tenth of a, a second on your 40 uh, as an O-lineman, it's not really, not like they're running 40 yards, but like that difference in actual speed, yeah. let's call it a point in your speed on your Madden rating uh, right. is is a huge, huge deal yeah. uh, for, for those kinds of things. Um, and and I, the last thing I'll say to, to kind of wrap up this section of the podcast uh, with these two large topics that I think we've now given uh, as thorough answers as exist on the internet for, uh, is that just because the team isn't doing something obvious doesn't mean it's actually the solution. And that's kind of, I think, the summary of all of this is they might run zone read in practice and it's terrible, so they're like, we're not, we're not going to run it. And instead of thinking like, oh my God, how could they not do this? It's the obvious answer. Sometimes the, the reframing in your mind should be, wow, there's probably a reason they're not doing that. It's so obvious there's got to right. be a reason that they're right. not doing it. And, and right. I think that sometimes we can get a little over our skis and assuming that the obvious thing isn't happening because the coaches are stupid as opposed to being like, no, if you think this is bad, you should, you should see when we try the other thing. That's, <laughs> that's real, real bad. Right, right. Absolutely. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. All right, Logan, we are, I should have said this earlier uh, in the podcast, but I will say this now. We're going to try something next week uh, that we've never done before. We're going to do a a live show. Um, Now, it will not be like live. You can come see us. Uh, You can't come to my house or Logan's house where we are sitting recording this. Uh, But you can join us on this, our little virtual uh, studio 
And so what we will do is we will have more, one, we'll have more details on exactly how you can join us on Tuesday. We're hoping to stream live on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to the Odyssey Sports YouTube page because if we can pull that off, that is where we will be doing it. Uh, But we will likely open up our little digital studio here uh, and let some folks on to ask us questions, quote unquote, in person. Uh, So that is going to be part of what we do next week. We'll try to schedule an interview for the other uh, day on the podcast. So we'll catch up with, with someone in the, uh, the commander's universe, uh, on Tuesday or sorry for, uh, I guess, well, we got to figure out Monday's pod too. So we'll, we'll have more information. I just realized, Oh crap, we have three pods next week. So we'll, we'll try to have some interviews and then we will do this. We will tape it on Thursday and it will be the release on Friday. Um, but, uh, in the spirit of taking some questions, we got this one from Kyle Colombo who also takes like some regular mailbag questions in that pod as well. Um, but he sent this to you on Instagram. You sent it to me so I could read it on this here podcast. Uh, hey, Logan, big fan of the content. Would greatly appreciate your take on the offensive scheme from Scott Turner. Personally, I have not been a fan of Turner since he came to Washington, but especially this year. I understand we don't have a franchise quarterback, but there is no reason we shouldn't be scoring in the mid to upper 20s every game with the level of talent on offense. At some point, it's got to fall on the coaching staff. I could go on and on about the Giants game, but that rant could go on forever. He saved your, your inbox from that one. Uh, the last thing I'll mention, which to me is absolutely disgraceful, harsh, is the fact that Terry McLaurin didn't have a red zone target until the game against the Falcons. Anyways, would love to get your perspective on the offense. Thanks. So I, I, I want to like distill the question down into kind of two parts. Mm-hmm. One, when someone says the scheme, like what we can really do is, a whole show on this, by the way, yeah, this would we, be a little, we, yeah. we should. And we, to some extent we, we just did, but like, yeah. we just spent 45 minutes on 2% of things that we think could help. <laughs> Right. But like, that's the level of detail that that really exists in the NFL. There's a reason they prepare for six days to play on one. Um, But when someone says the scheme, like to you, what is the scheme? What does that even mean? Well, I think if you look at like, you know, Scott Turner versus Norb Turner, that scheme, it's a very specific type. And I think that the scheme as defined by that parameter was much more on display earlier in the year when Carson was a quarterback. This kind of deep passing, longer developing stuff, you know, was one of the reasons the offensive line was putting so much stress. Um, and I think he's actually done a really nice job kind of shifting gears a little bit, getting away from that, kind of saying that's not what we can sustain long term. So, you know, in answer to this guy's question, that sounds to me like a, an offensive coordinator who's thinking outside the box and, and and making changes, right? They've kind of shifted to this run-first approach. I think Ron is probably a big driving force behind that. And I think I mentioned this in the last show. I think Scott, you know, for all of his warts, has done a really nice job of in the confines of this new run-first offense, developing play-action pass shots, getting guys touches, making easy throws for Taylor Heineke, and then also kind of knowing when to sprinkle in variations off the duo variations on like the toss crack like that type of stuff the jet sweep stuff i thought that was a really really nice innovation that they brought out was it against the atlanta against atlanta or maybe the week before it was a big it was a big feature right curtis sam will get a lot of touches green bay was a big one of those right getting getting touches on the perimeter to kind of complement this inside zone run um again finding easy throws for taylor taylor's done a nice job of kind of getting the ball where it's supposed to be i mean the third down execution the philly game was masterful like the play calling in those situations was really good as well in terms of the passing game so as much as people want to 
kind of dig it, Scott, because they're not scoring points. And I get that. They're not scoring a lot of points. And that's very, very frustrating. But that's more of like a red zone diagnosis. I, I really think this has been, to my eye anyway, Scott's best year since I've been covering the team. And oh, it's because yeah. he's 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 challenging himself. He's he's messing with expectations, and he's and he's making he's elevating the offense. He's elevating a, a, a I would say an average to below average offensive line, and he's ele- uh, you know elevating an average to below average quarterback. And I think that that's him. He's he's done that. And so as much as people want to say, look at what Kyle Shanahan's doing. Kyle Shanahan has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. He has skill position players out the, you know, you know what, and a quarterback that is very, very good at executing that scheme. He doesn't have that here, really. He's got a guy, he's, he's kind of working around and this kind of handcuffed him. So I, I, you know, I personally think the scheme has changed. And I think Scott has done a nice job of, of conducting that change to support an offense that is more efficient than it's been, um, even though it might not be scoring quite as many points. No, I 100% agree. I, I didn't love every call on Sunday, and there's some situational yeah. stuff that we talked about um, on the last podcast. But, you know, I think Scott, previous to that, had been like a four or five week just heater where he, yeah. I don't think he missed a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you know, the red zone stuff is, that's also something maybe we can talk about. Uh, we can do a little red zone self-scout. Maybe we'll do that for uh, for Monday's pod or something like but that. But just real quick on the red zone, but just real yeah. quick. If you look at every play in the red zone, there's opportunities there. Like the throws, he's he's created open right. throws. And right. Well, that's what I was going to say is yeah. like the red zone's hard to execute. And when you have a quarterback who can't really throw balls in tight windows very well, and you don't have an elite big receiver, like yeah. you're throwing some of your your um, your fade routes to Cam Sims, all due respect to Cam, who's like not bad in those situations, yeah. but it's not like you're throwing it to Devontae Adams. Yeah. Um, and like... Cole Turner has not really been able to develop a connection with with Taylor. Um, Logan Thomas has been in and out of the lineup and and is not really like a jump. Even though he's like a, got that big body, it's not like he's a a former basketball player, uh, you know, who's great jump ball guy. Um, and then Terry is smaller uh, in terms of elite receiver but, height. Like, but even maybe more importantly, you have a small quarterback. And right in the yeah. red zone, that's a huge thing, right? To, and that's one of the reasons why they liked big receivers when they were in Carolina is because it's easy to see those dudes in the red zone. They're just bigger, bigger targets, right? Right. So, um, you know, like I said, there's an open throw to Jahan where he doesn't throw it on time. Like he misses Bates late. Like you're not, you're going to be hard pressed to find a bigger guy than Bates and you know in the red zone. So, and right. the, the 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 touchdown to Bates in Atlanta was a beautifully designed play. So it's there. It's just the execution, in my estimation. That's the thing. It's the execution of the scheme that has led to lackluster offensive production in the red zone specifically. Right. It's man. It's, it's so tough to score down there. And it's why I think they've been better in like the high red zone than they have like mid red zone. Like they're better off at the 12 than they are at the five Um, because the space just becomes so condensed. And that's such a great point about him being able to see, but like it's bleeping hard to score down there. Yeah, And that is somewhere where like someone like Wentz is a little appealing because you 
potentially do hit some of the bigger shots down the field earlier. They've got to be better in, in like the green zone. They've got to be better 40 yards and then hitting some of the shots. And Taylor has hit some of those in some of their higher scoring games. They've gotten those big plays where it's like 45-yard big plays, even if you're not getting the 80-yarders that you get with Wentz out there. Um, obviously, there's there's other downsides there. Um, but I think in general, like Scott's been pretty good. And yeah. when you watch the tape, like you see the opportunities available. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Kyle in his question blows past the obvious thing. Not only do they not have a franchise quarterback, like if you look at like the ringers quarterback rankings, I know everyone yeah. loves Taylor here. And, and he's, in my opinion, in your opinion, the best option for this team right now. But he's like the 30th ranked quarterback in the NFL. Right. Yeah. Um, you're not, that's not even like a below average. That's like bottom of the barrel starting quarterback. And so the fact that they are consistently able to do anything with a quarterback at that level is pretty remarkable. It's a credit right. to their skill position guys. It is a credit to their offensive coordinator. And sometimes just because the answer doesn't change and it's unsatisfactory doesn't mean that a new problem has actually arisen. The problem has been the same the whole time. They don't right. have good quarterback play. And that doesn't mean that Scott is, is, isn't getting better. It doesn't mean that, the, you know, anything else. The answer is the same now as it was in 2020. Their yeah. quarterback play is not very good. And when they get a good quarterback, they will probably score a lot more points. And their inability to find one, I think, is actually more of an indictment of the market than it is of them. Right. They tried. Um, now, did I, did I like the Wentz move? Absolutely not. Um, I think that was a miss, right? Like, I think you're better off spending that money on, you know, your offensive line. Uh, and I think that's borne out, obviously, over time. Who knows how Carson would have developed? It's it's a hypothetical. We can't know. But there's not 32 good quarterbacks. Not every team gets one. You know, right. that that's just the, the reality of the NFL. And so unless you're going to get your, your scout right in the draft, or something weird happens where an actual good quarterback becomes available in free agency and he chooses to sign with you or you get to trade for one, okay, but that typically doesn't happen because teams don't let go of good quarterbacks. They do, and they spend right. absurd money to keep them. And so that's that to me is the core of the issue. Um, right. The offensive line issues that we've talked about, how limited, I think, is the best way to describe this offensive line. Yeah. You ask them to do very specific things, run duo, go ahead, hit the guy in front of you. Like, they can do it. But it's when you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a quarterback who can create time and or make big throws or do a lot of the other things that people not named Taylor Heineke can do, it's just tough. And so they're averaging 19 and a half points a game, but that also includes like a, a 12 against Chicago. That was Wentz an right. eight against Philly. That was Wentz a seven. I think it was against Dallas. That was Wentz with Taylor. Yep. Like they've scored what, what I think I'll, I'll wrap up with this thought, Logan, they know what they're getting. When we talk about high yeah. ceiling, high floor, low ceiling, low floor, like Taylor is high floor, low ceiling. And every single game with the exception of Philly They've scored, I think, between 17 and 23. And that Philly would have been in that had they not had the the goofy lateral fumble at the end fumble, of the game. Yeah. They, ac they accidentally scored uh, 32. So they know what they're getting each and every week. And to establish that level of consistency with this group, mm -hmm. I think is actually a credit to Scott Turner more than it is an indictment of him. That That's how I would wrap that thought. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it. And just like, just Chris was the guy, right? Who asked the question? Uh, Nope, that wasn't his name. What was his name? Sorry, Phillip. buddy. Uh, Kyle. Kyle. Kyle, sorry. Kyle. 
it's the, it's a CT man strikes again. Anyway, the, <laughs> um, what, what I'll say is that like, are there things that I wish Scott would do differently? Yes. But that's also like, that's just life in the, it's like coordinators don't always do the same thing. I think when I step back and I say, is what Scott's doing is what he's doing working? Yes. Like he's getting open throws. He's creating open opportunities. And I think that's where you have to kind of humble yourself and say, this is different than what I would be doing, but it still is an effective solution. And right. it doesn't always look pretty, but I think to, to Scott's credit, like these, this, the, the way the play action game has developed is a huge testament to him. Like he's done that. Like they've done that him and Ron, him and whoever, Zampezi, whatever, whoever's working on that. That's been awesome to see the the making the jet sweep fakes more viable by giving those guys touches there. That's been Scott, like calling those plays, calling runs that pair with duo, all that stuff. And that is that's good offensive coordinator play. And I think, you know, Ron always says, you know, Scott is a very young play caller still. And I think that's yeah. something that we often forget is that like this is like his third year calling plays and you're starting to see some growth and maturity. And and, you know, like, is it always pretty? Kyle, no, it's not always pretty, but I do think he's done some really good things that make me say, okay, like let's improve the offensive line. Let's see if we can find, you know, maybe a better quarterback, like long-term moving forward. And you say this offense has the the makings of something to be very special, especially with Scott improving in that area. Oh, by the way, they're also six, one and one in their last eight games. Yeah, man. Like, holy. And, and again, like it's not, it's not just the, that's the other thing. Last point here. That's yeah. not the only thing you're doing. It's how does your offense fit in the context of your team? Like if this was a bad defense and you said, oh, we got to go out and score 30 points, this offense, I guarantee you, would look different. It yeah. would look drastically different. You'd be the Lions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a great – that's exactly what you'd be – you'd be taking more shots. You'd be being way more risk of uh, – you'd be encouraging more yeah. risk. Yeah, risk tolerant. Thank you offensively because you knew you needed to do that to win games that's not what this is you are basically ron has basically said in every talk that i've had with him is we want to put the defense in the best position to be successful and the way to do that is to possess the football play conservatively and that has bore itself out in a very nice way when the only reason that the giants game is even close is because the offense makes a mistake and they have a turnover on the 20 yard line going in right so if you can limit those mistakes the defense is good enough to, I don't know, you can't win a game with defense, but you know what I'm saying? It's to, to keep you in a close game. Well, that's the thing. The, the defense can keep you below your offense's floor, right? Yes. Because yes. if we know yes. they're going to score 17, the defense needs needs to not give up. I mean, they literally won the Colts game 17-16. Yeah. That's, you do that, that's a win. Yeah. Um, and, and so if they can continue to do that um, by not, and that that's the thing. It's like, well, okay, if they if they would score more points, that would be better. Like, yeah, but if you score more points with two more turnovers, that's worse. And I think that's yes. that's legitimately what we're talking about here yes. is one to two more turnovers per game, plus a defense that would give up more, uh, not just because of the turnovers, because they would be more tired. Allen and Payne wouldn't be out there as often, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, uh, that was really really great stuff uh, if you like it make sure that you're subscribed so you can get more of it uh, perhaps we'll do this again on Monday's pod so here's what we need from all of you uh, 
you can tweet me at Craig Hoffman or message Logan at Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram. Uh, or you can leave a comment on this video. Uh, I say this video because you might be watching a clip of this on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman, or on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page, perhaps even on the 106.7 The Fan YouTube page. Our content gets dispersed out into the universe in a variety of places. So wherever it is that you're watching, I have access, and as does Matt, to all of the comments. Uh, so just leave a comment and let us know what you want us to go deep on early next week. Uh, so go ahead and leave those comments, send those messages, and we will pick a couple of other items, probably some on the defensive side since we went all offense today, uh, to go deep on for Monday. Uh, we will do more uh, to get ready for New York, obviously, next week as well. And then we will do our first ever live show next Thursday night. We'll have all the details Monday and Wednesday on the pots. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig. We'll see you all next time. Like, subscribe, etc. Peace. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now, uh, because obviously if you're listening there, our, our podcast is available and, th and then you can subscribe there and then you can have it anytime we put out a new episode. Anytime you want it. And it helps us out, guys. Help us out. Help yeah, us help if, you. If you don't want to do it for your own listening good, uh, do it for us. Be altruistic or whatever that version is. I like that. Yeah, I, I, that's a good word. <laughs>